I hope that you're excited to be here today. We have a, uh, I believe this is a very special message. I believe it can be a turning point for you today. If you really pay attention and dive in and take what, what I'm saying, what I believe the Lord has put in my heart and apply it to your life, it could really be a game changer for you. Now, before we dive in, I want to say again, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Hopefully you get treated special, hopefully with a little bit of extra honor, a little bit of extra uh, respect, maybe a steak. Anybody have a steak planned for this afternoon on the grill? Hopefully the rain, you know, stays away. You could do that. Something fun for you there. But I appreciate you dads. We make a difference, don't we? We have a lot of influence in our homes, and I hope that you steward that well, and I encourage you to do that. So uh, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. So welcome to all of our campuses right now, all of our micro sites right now, our online campus. We want to welcome you. We are in a series right now called Power Up, and this series is really all about finding strength for life. Life can really wear you out sometimes, can't it? I mean, there are scenarios, there are situations, there are difficulties that we face all the time that can sap us of strength, sap us of energy. Sometimes it's something physical with our bodies that's going on. Some of us struggle with chronic fatigue or some sort of illness or disease. Sometimes it's just uh, something going on with uh, pain in our back or knees or hips or something like that. And sometimes our struggles are physical and that makes it really hard to deal with the situations in our life. Sometimes our struggles are emotional. You know, there's things going on in our life, uh, whether it's a, a difficult relationship or a difficult job situation with coworkers or with a boss or just hard work, uh, and it's, it's emotional. Sometimes it's financial pressure and stress that's, uh, that's upon us, and emotionally we feel like we just don't have the strength to continue to face into those issues. Sometimes it's parenting issues, a friendship issue, and uh, we just feel like we're out of energy. Sometimes it's a, a fight against temptation with some sort of sin in our life. Maybe it's lust or, or greed, or I, I don't know, maybe it's an addiction of some sort with alcohol or drugs, and we've tried and tried and tried, and it just keeps coming at us. It's relentless, and we keep giving in, and we just feel like we don't have the strength or energy to fight it and to win. That's how life goes sometimes. It's difficult, it's challenging. And in this series, what we said was the good news is that there is strength available. We're going to look at four biblical strategies to find strength for life so that we can deal with the situation such that they don't penetrate to the core of who we are and plunge us into discouragement, into fear, into anger or sadness or even depression. And so last week we began by talking about how God is our refuge and strength, like Psalm 46.1. And he is our very present help in time of trouble, right? And if we trust in him... We can build up that strength and we, can, and we can lean into the problems and situations and difficulties of our life. And so we build that trust by getting into the scriptures. We build that trust by looking what God is doing in other people's lives. And we build that trust by reflecting on what he's done in our own life. And we can find that strength as we trust in him. How many of you tried to build your trust this week? All right, I need to do a better job. I need to do a better job. I need to preach better. Listen, because you don't change unless you change your actions, okay? Just because you hear something doesn't mean it's gonna change your life. You have to take what you hear and put it into action, and that's how you change. So today we're gonna look at the second principle of how to find strength to deal with life, and that's found in the book, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Now, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, I've preached through it before. I've done a series called Breakthrough, and that was all about the book of Nehemiah. It's a fantastic book on 
on leadership. It's a book on perseverance, how to overcome obstacles. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'm just going to give you the short cliff notes because I've talked about it before. Some of you will recognize this. Nehemiah is a guy who works for a guy named, uh, a king named King Xerxes, and Nehemiah's hometown, Jerusalem, is not doing well. The walls have been broken down. They've been burned with fire. Uh, The people have been exiled out. Nehemiah catches wind that his hometown, Jerusalem, is not doing well, so he asks permission from his boss, King Xerxes, to go back home and to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Long story short, he goes home, he rallies the troops, he, against all odds, you know, there's people trying to, you know, fight him, threatening his life, he rallies the people of Israel to build the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days, fantastic book, that's chapters 1 through 6 of the book of Nehemiah. Then, chapter 7, 8, and 9, is the people start to kind of settle into a new normal, they've got their walls back, they're starting to get back into some rhythms, and they have, in the Jewish life, there were these festivals that God asked them to incorporate into their year, six or seven festivals. They would last about a week long and they were designed to celebrate God, remember his faithfulness and just to kind of refocus on him. So during one of these festivals, after the walls have been built, the the main character of the story shifts from being Nehemiah to a guy named Ezra. Ezra is a scholar, he's a scribe, he's a priest. In chapter eight, that's where we're gonna pick up the story here, Ezra is preaching a sermon. Okay, that's kind of the situation. And all the people are listening to him very much like this scenario right here. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3. Ezra faced the square just inside the water gate and from, listen to this, watch this. Early morning, say 8 o'clock, 8 a.m., until noon, 12 o'clock, and he read aloud to everyone who could understand. This was a very long sermon. Do you agree? Eight to noon, wow, four hours. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. Nehemiah, they they actually built up a platform, a wooden platform that he stood on. And what he did was he opened up the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he was reading to them for four hours. Can you imagine? I mean, I preach for about 30 minutes. Once I cross the 30-minute mark, some of you get up and walk out. <laughs> it's like, dude, if he can't get his point across in 30 minutes, I'm out of here. Like, I see you when you walk out. Like, I'm right here. <laughs> anyway, so he's preaching for four hours. Can you imagine me up here for four hours just talking and, you know, just reading the Bible? And it's, this is incredible. So something happens that you might expect to happen in a four-hour sermon. The the people start to weep. (laughs) They start to cry. Now, when you first look at it, you think, well, yeah, I know exactly where they're crying because this guy won't wrap it up. (laughs) But that's not why they were crying. They were crying for a different reason. See, the people had actually asked Ezra to read. It was their idea. They gave him the book. They said, we want you to teach us. We want you to read it. And so we built a platform for you. And, and so it was, it was something they were desiring. In fact, in the text, it says that when Ezra was reading the book of the law, some of the people were raising their hands and praising God. And some of the people were getting on their knees and bowing their face to the ground in worship uh, of God because of Ezra's sermons. Now, that'd be pretty cool if you guys responded that way to some of my sermons. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Maybe today. I don't know. 
Anyway, I'm just joking. But, but they're, they're, they're not crying because Ezra is giving a bad talk or because it's four hours long. Well, if that's not the reason they're weeping and crying, well, what, why are they weeping and crying? Well, it's because in the, in the Old Testament, uh, first five books of the Old Testament, there were lots of occasions where God would say, look, if you follow me and honor me and obey me and do what I say, I'm gonna bless you and you're gonna have success and your crops will be blessed and your children will be blessed and you'll be protected from your enemies. However, if you create idols and worship false gods and, and, and deny me, there's gonna be a bunch of you know, curses in your life and all of these terrible things will happen and you'll pestilences and you're, there'll be disease and you'll be exiled from your home and, and the walls of your city will be burned. And, and that's exactly what happened. The people of Israel worshiped false gods. They lost their city. They were exiled. So they're hearing all this and they're like, this is what we did, we knew better. They were convicted, they were cut to heart. They were tears of repentance. We need to do that sometimes. We need to hear what God's word has to say and we need to be cut to the heart like, oh, I don't do that. But this is not a time for mourning. This is a seven-day festival, festival to celebrate God, to remember his faithfulness. They just built the walls in 52 days. This is a time of victory. This is a time of joy. And so Nehemiah and Ezra, they see all the people weeping, and they're like, time out. Listen to what they say. Chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. Then Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said this to them. Watch. Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. And then they continue in verse 10. Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing. And then he says this, watch. This is a sacred day before the Lord your God. Don't be dejected and sad. Here's why. And then he sneaks it in there. And this is the principle. This is the second principle of how to find strength in this series. Because the joy of the Lord is your, say it with me, strength. If, if you're a note taker today, just made it real simple for you. <laughs> we just quoted the verse. <laughs> Deep thoughts today, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's, it's easy to say, it's, it's memorable, it's portable, it's tweetable, isn't it? You can say this, you can quote this. Like you can say, I memorized scripture today. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? But what does it mean? And how do you apply it? How does it work? It's a great statement, but I've always read it and thought, okay, but I'm not so sure I'm experiencing that. I don't really know how to apply that. I never really know what it means. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You mean to say there's strength to deal with the divorce I'm going through, their strength to deal with the death of my loved one, their strength to deal with this rebellious child I have, their strength to deal with this work situation, like, and it's, it's somehow related to joy? Like, what? Let's unpack it together. Let's unpack it together. What does it mean for the joy of the Lord to be your strength? Well, somehow, joy leads to strength. So we know those two things are connected. We'll unpack that in just a moment. But before we do that, we also have to point out the fact that this is not our joy. 
God didn't say, your joy is your strength. He said that, what? It's my joy. It's God's joy that is your strength. So we have to understand that. Like something in him must get in us for us to have some strength. So we'll unpack that too. So those are the two ideas we have to try to understand. Let's talk, let's talk about the first one. Have you ever had an experience, I know you have, many times, where something has happened or something's about to happen in your life and you're so filled with joy that when you hear bad news, it just bounces off. You ever been there? For some of you, it's like the buildup before your wedding day. It's like, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, we're getting married, you know, or it's going to be a honeymoon. Like, tell it doesn't matter. No, no bad, bad news cannot affect me because we're just, we're about to get married. Going to honeymoon. I remember that. Great time. For some of you, it's like your first house. It's like, it doesn't matter what's going on. Bad news doesn't affect it. We're getting a house or we're about to, I'm about to graduate college or maybe it was the first job that you had or maybe it was your first child. I remember our first child was incredible. You know, we, 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 we went to the hospital. It was just, you know, my wife's belly is just out to here. And, you know, it's just it's like, is this really happening? You know, and, and then it happened. And then we get in the car and we're taking this human being home from the hospital. And there's a mixture of this fear because how do you keep it alive, right? Like, you, <laughs> is it going to survive the night? Maybe it won't. But, but with the fear, there's this joy of like, wow, we've made a human, this is incredible and bad news bounced off of us. You ever been there? Yes, yes. I love, I love the few days before vacation, not the family trip. Family trips are cool. You bring the kids with you. Those are fun. We do those. But the true vacation is where the kids stay home with the grandparents and mom and dad get to go by themselves. You know what I'm talking about? These are the true vacations. And, and this, the, the, the build up to those moments in my life, I get so excited. It's like, you can tell me bad news. I don't care. It's like, well, I'm, I'm going on vacation. Like, feed me. Give me, give me more, because it doesn't matter. Because I'm so filled with joy. Like it and then when we're on the vacations, like bad news, it doesn't, it doesn't touch me. It doesn't hit. Because why? Because I'm so, so in that sense, joy functions as almost like a force field. Yes? Some of you getting this? Yes or no? Okay, some of you aren't getting this, so I'm going to help you out a little bit. I'm going to give you something memorable. Pastor Cody is going to come out of here and help us out. Pastor Cody is our Greenwood campus pastor. Give it up for Pastor Cody. Where is he at? <laughs> There he comes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor Cody's going to come help us. Come on out here, PC. We're going to call him PC, Pastor Cody. Don't you love PC? <laughs> PC, how you feeling? I'm having a ball. Awesome. <laughs> these, balls, the, <laughs> these balls are going to function as problems in life. Like, this is how it goes. You know, you have, you have small problems, you know, traffic and difficulty and kids, and they come at you. Whammo! How'd that feel? Yeah, it felt like joy. Yeah? <laughs> how about that one? A little bit more joy. That's how life comes. Sometimes life comes yet to add two problems at a time, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But notice these, these problems are, they're bouncing off of, of, of Pastor Cody. Sometimes they come at you like a bat, and you just yep. whack, okay. whack, yep. mm -hmm. whack. Yep, that's... <laughs> It's a very intense joy, feel? very intense joy, very intense joy. I w joy functions like a force field. It is a strength. It's like you're so filled up that no matter what happens, it just bounces off. Right off. Sometimes problems, sometimes they okay. come at you. All right. 
like oh, this. Really? Boom, yep. boom, boom, mm -hmm. boom, 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 <laughs> This is so much fun, it's I just want to share. <laughs> Ooh, I almost got you in the head over there. <laughs> How about the online campus? Right there, right there, baby. <laughs> I mean, that's life sometimes, right? But did you notice, did you notice that Whatever was coming at Cody, I wanted you to have a visual to never forget this. Whatever is coming at him is bouncing off of him. I, I wonder it if- sure did. I wonder, I wonder if this will bounce off. What do you think? Really, with the brick? Try? Really? Yeah. With just, the brick? You try? That's, it's like joy mixed with fear now. It's like a, it's like a two-fold thing, it's great. I won't throw a brick at him, I won't throw a brick. Can we get up for Pastor Cody? Please see, thank you. Well, we like to have fun in church, don't we? Joy functions as a force field. It literally does. It, it, it doesn't prevent all of the problems from touching our soul and, and, and causing some discouragement, but man, it sure blocks out a lot of them. But it's not, it's not our joy that does this, it's God's joy. So let's unpack that for a few moments. Um, a few years ago, I read the book, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And uh, he's probably one of, the, was, he's not, he's no longer alive, but he was probably one of the greatest thinkers of our time when it comes to Christianity, kind of like the modern, a modern day C.S. Lewis. There's probably not a pastor in America or, it, or across the world that doesn't have at least one of his books in, his, in their library. And Dallas Willard said something here about joy. I'll just read it to you. Uh, well, I lost the spot, so I'll quote to you off the, stand, off the screen here. Dallas said this, undoubtedly, God, he is the most joyous being in the universe. Have you ever thought about God that way? The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. He continues, all the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy Watch this. He, God, continually experiences in all their breadth, depth, and richness. Occasionally, we have moments where we're like, oh my gosh, first baby, first home, graduation day, merry wedding day, a wonderful steak dinner if you're into steak, a wonderful vegan dinner if you're into that. <laughs> it's a real thing, it's a thing. You know, we, we occasionally have these, these, these tastes. A couple, a couple months ago, we celebrated Jackie's 40th birthday and we went, to, we went on a cruise, which was fantastic. First cruise we ever been on. And um, she wanted to go on an excursion, which is a trip while you're on the trip. <laughs> and the excursion was out into the ocean to, to scuba dive. And, and uh, what, what, what's in the ocean? Sharks are in the ocean. So this is not my favorite idea, right? But this is my wife, my precious 20, 20 been married 20 years this summer, right? So it's like, we're going to go, I guess we're going to go in the ocean. I'm going to sacrifice my life for you. So, because that's what good Christian husbands do, right? So, so we're, so we're out on this boat and it's time to get in. And we've got a guy there who's leading the excursion and he gives the instructions. And I'm just like looking for the sharks because they're in there. Yes, they're in there. They're just in there. Listen, there are sharks in every body of water, pools, lakes, they're all over the place. 
so, so I'm looking for the sharks, and so we get in and the water, and, and I'm just not having a good time. It's really salty, and, and, and it's, just, it's wavy, and all of a sudden, it's time to go under. And so we go under, and I've got the mask on, and I'm like, what? He had taken us to this reef where there, there were all of these fish that I don't, I swear I've never seen any of them before. And they had colors I had never seen before. And there were other things beyond the fish that were there. And I was blown away. And suddenly my thoughts about sharks and the salt water, it just disappeared because I was so overwhelmed with what I was seeing. And I did it, you know, for what, an hour or so. My children were there, they were seeing it. And it brought me great joy. Guess what? Those fish and every other beautiful thing that you find joy from, every sunset, every sunrise, all the stars in the sky, they are perpetually before God 24-7, 365. And he's soaking them in. God is the most joyous being in the universe. Is he sad? Yes. How can you not be sad when you see what's going on in our world today? But that's not his dominant emotion. His dominant emotion is joy. But that still doesn't explain how we get his joy in us. That just establishes that he is the source of joy. But how do we get his joy in us such that we have strength for life so that it functions as a force field? That's the question I want to answer with the rest of our time. Three ways. Three ways. How do we get God's joy in us? The first one is to get into God's presence. Get into God's presence. This is the gift to every single one of us that if we should choose to take it. You know, when I come home from, from, from work each day, and even sometimes, um, you know, I'll stop at home for lunch or something like that, my dog, some of you know I have a mini schnauzer, uh, he's a bundle of fear. Last night he was so afraid of the storm. We had a local storm here in Indianapolis and, and there was thunder and lightning and so he was pacing the bedroom and kept me up. Uh, but he doesn't ha just have fear. He also has this, uh, this joy that's bottled up inside of him. So when he sees me come home or my wife and sometimes the kids, he will in the window be like, rawr, 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 like and, and, and he just, he's out of his mind. He's just, he, he can't control it, right? And he's, she, he's literally shaking. We call him the you know, wiggle bottom because his just whole body is just wiggling with joy. And he's got this little nub for a tail. He doesn't have a tail. He's got a nub. It's going, doo -doo 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 you know, and so then he'll run from the window and he'll go to the door. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you have a dog like this, right? And he, he, as soon as the door opens, he's jumping, he's sleeping, he's, he's so excited, he's licking and, and I can't resist. So I'm down there and I know his horrible, stinky breath, it doesn't matter because he'll let, you know, he's just, and I'm just hugging on him and loving on him. And there's just, just this moment of transfer of joy. Suddenly I'm a little happier. And then I go in and I greet the rest of my family. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a real thing. And some of you know what I'm talking about. The joy in that little creature rubs off on me. I can't explain it. I don't even, it's subconscious. I'm not even trying to do it. It just happens. He makes me happy. Some dogs will end up in heaven. I believe that. No cats, for sure. No cats at all. Those are strange creatures. I, I'm just joking about the cat thing. I know some of you have cats and you love them. They just stare at you. It's the <laughs> oddest thing. 
It's like they're peering into your soul like they know everything about you. <laughs> so creepy. It's like, I can't see an animal like that in heaven. Anyway, anyway, okay. I'm just joking. But dogs, man, they're lying. They're so happy. They're so, I mean, they, listen, I believe it works the same way with God. I really do. I think that when, that God is the most joyous being in the universe, like he created dogs. Like he put the joy in them. He is the source of the joy in the dog. I believe that God is so excited about everything, about what he created. Like in the, in the book of Genesis, it says, after he was done creating, he said, it is good. And you and I are the pinnacle of his creation. We're like, animals are cool and plants are cool and the stars are awesome, but human beings, he is so thrilled about you. And he's just waiting to be in your presence. He's waiting to want to, to connect with you and to, for some of his joy to rub off on you. Listen to Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. You show me the right way to go. In your presence, there is fullness of, say it with me, joy. It's, it's not just half measures, three quarters full of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is God. God is the most joyous being in the universe and he wants to be with you and it's our gift through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to be with God all the time. I wish, I wish that every Christian, every Christian would read this book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence and Frank Laubach. Read this about 20 years ago, I've been reading it ever since. It's changed my life. These two men, these made it their, their, an experiment to try to live in God's presence every moment of every day and they just write down their, their results of their experiment. Most of it is joy. Get in his presence. Number two, we have to obey what he says. We have to do what Jesus said. John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with not your joy, but my joy. And yes, your joy will overflow. So what things? <laughs> that's the question. What things did you tell us? Well, that's verses one through 10. In verses one through 10 of John chapter 15, Jesus uses this incredible example that all of, the, all of his audience would understand because they understood vines and vineyards and grapes and wine. He said, look, I am the, the vine of the plant, like the trunk and you guys are the branches, my followers. If the branches are connected to the trunk or the vine, there'll be a lot of grapes, there'll be a lot of fruit, but apart from me, you can do, some of you know, what? Nothing. Well, that begs the question, how does the branch stay connected to the vine? If I'm a branch and you're a branch, and if we stay connected, there's gonna be lots of fruit. How does that happen? Well, he tells us in verse 10. When you, say it with me, obey. When you do what I say, when you follow my commands, that's how you abide or remain or stay connected in my love or to the vine, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Obedience. One time Jesus said, whoever hears my teachings and does not do them is like a foolish person who builds their house on sand. And the rains come and the winds blow and they beat against that house and that house falls to the ground. Why? Because of disobedience. Just not doing what God said. 
However, Jesus said, there's another person, this wise person who takes my teachings and actually obeys them. And that's the person who builds their house on a rock. And then when the waves come and the rains come and the, the winds come, that house stands firm because it's built on obedience to the teachings. It's built on the rock. Obedience is the pathway to joy because it works. Jesus knows everything about everything. One time Dallas Willard was sharing in a talk. He said, you know, when I go on college campuses, I, uh, I ask the professors, sometimes he would do these talks to different groups of professors and he would ask them, do you think Jesus could chair the philosophy department in your university? Do you think Jesus could chair the mathematics department in your university? How about the history department? Could he be the chair? Could, be, could he be the chair of the biochemistry department at your university? And a lot of times the professors, Christian people, they'd kind of say, well, I don't, I don't really know. Because the perception is that Jesus is a really, really awesome guy and he loves everybody and the little children love him. And, but I'm not so sure he's that smart. Do you think Jesus is the most intelligent being in the universe? Yes or no? Do you think he knows everything about everything? How about biochemistry? How about the toughest math on the planet? Think Jesus knows about, think he, you think he could teach it? Yeah, because he created it. He thought it up. The human brain was his creation. He's the smartest, most intelligent being in the universe. And the quicker we adjust to that, oh, the, it's gonna be better for us. If you believe that, which I think everybody would say you believe that, right? Yes, most intelligent being in the universe. Then why is it that when we look into this book and, uh, and, and, we, and we look at his teachings on, say, uh, enemies, how to treat your enemies, we don't do it? Uh-oh. And why is it that when we look in this book and look at his teachings on money, we don't do it? I thought you just said he knows everything about everything. Does he know everything about everything when it comes to money? Yes or no? Then how come you're not doing it? How come I, see that? There's inconsistency there. If Jesus knows everything about everything, that means he knows everything about sex and sexuality. How come you're not doing it his way? Oh, you had to bring up sex. (laughs) Aren't his views so archaic? No, he knows everything about everything. And he's the one that said, if you just do what I would say in regards to money, in regards to sex, and how to deal with fear, and how to deal with worry in your life, and how to deal with people who offend you, and how to deal with the enemies who are trying to take you down, it will be like you building your house on a rock, and then when the storms come and the winds come and they beat against your house, it does not move. It's immovable because of your obedience. And when you can live that way, you will have joy. It will function like a shield in your life. Yes or no? We've got to do what he says. Psalm 128 verse 1 puts it like this. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, just have respect for the Lord, all who follow his ways. I implore you, I implore to myself, obey Jesus and what he says. It will bring joy. Your joy will overflow. Let me give you this last one, number three. You got to schedule joy. This is probably the most practical one. Other, I mean, obedience is practical, but you got to schedule joy. What do I mean by that? You got to plan for it. In the book of Nehemiah, 
Nehemiah and Ezra say, hey, stop mourning, stop crying. This is a, a festival. This is a time to celebrate. Listen to what they, he said. Let me go back to it. Verse 10, go and throw a party. Celebrate with a feast, rich foods, sweet drinks. Dare I say alcoholic. Can I say that in church? He's not saying to go get drunk. He's saying, have a party and share gifts with food. People who don't have any, come on. Schedule it in. Schedule joy into your life, he says. Do things that make you happy in your life. Some of you know I work on the weekends. How many of you, got, how many of you know that, the weekends? I, I'm pretty, pretty busy on the weekends. It's the busiest time of the week. So my weekend's got to be a different day. Like you guys get Saturday, Sunday. Some of you just get Saturday. Some of you just get Sunday. I get Fridays. So Friday's my weekend. And I take it very seriously. I schedule Friday meticulously. It's my day off. You think, oh, you just kind of go whatever you do, whatever comes your way. Nope, nope, nope. Super intentional with Friday because it's my day of joy. So from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I try to pack all of the things into Friday that bring me tremendous joy. So there's going to be some awesome coffee, of course. So there's going to be some time with the people I adore and love the most, friends, my wife. There's going to be the, 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 the food that I love, my, choose the best food that makes me happy. There's going to be a nap. Amen. There's going to be a Friday nap. There's going to be time reading uh, one of my favorite books. There's obviously going to be time in the scripture. There's going to be time in prayer. There's going to be time playing basketball. Yes, this is essential to happiness. Okay. So there's going to be a ball in my hand at some point. And it's a day filled with joy. Why? Because I take it seriously. Sometimes people ask me, Danny, you smile all the time. Why do you seem so happy? Because I work hard at it. That's why I don't wait for it to come. I'm not like, oh, I'll be happy. I don't know. I guess when there's a nice sunrise or when, you know, I'm like, no, today I'm going to be happy. And I don't just do it on Friday, by the way. I do it every single day. At some point, I'm like, I'm going to schedule joy into my day. Go and celebrate, he says. Like, God planned this into their schedule. Six or seven times a year, they would have a seven-day festival to celebrate who God is and his faithfulness with food and dancing and drink. This is God. Did you know that God is infinitely joyful? He's the most joyful being in the world, and he wants his joy to fill you such that it can be a strength for life. I'm so happy God is God. Are you? Now, we can take that too far. And we certainly live in a culture that mistakes the objects of joy for joy itself, the ultimate source of joy. And that's where addictions come in. And that's why so many people are overweight and they have a drinking problem. Because what we've done is like, this is so good, I'll just keep drinking it. This tastes so good, I'll just eat more of it, right? And what happens? obesity and alcoholism and all these different things. What have we done? We have mistaken these, these pointers towards joy for joy itself, and they've turned into idols, and they're breaking our hearts. God never intended the stake to be the ultimate joy. It's just a pointer. C.S. Lewis said it this way. It, joy, is a byproduct. Its very existence presupposes that you desire not it, not, not the object, but something other, something outer. He says it like this. He says, Lewis says that it's like we're lost in the woods and we don't know how to get home and we're filled with fear and all of a sudden we're, we come upon a sign that says this way out of the woods, this way towards the path and the sign is like, it just brings 
oh, we're going to make it. We're going to get to go home. We're not going to die in the woods. And then we find the path. And guess what? Along the path, there's more signs. But now the signs don't bring as much happiness as the first one. Because they're just pointing us to what? The ultimate destination, which is what? Home. God. Jesus himself. Don't mistake the signs for joy itself, for the source of joy. If you do, your heart will be broken and you'll end up with a load of addictions and bad habits. What am I saying today? Life is filled with obstacles that wear us out, beat us down. It's, there's bad news every day. I don't even watch the news anymore because I just don't want to hear it, right? If you want to have strength for life, you need joy. Joy functions like a force field. It's not even your joy, it's God's joy. How do we get it into our lives? We've got to spend time with God so it rubs off on us. He's the source. We've got to do what he says, obey him, build our house on the rock. And we've got to schedule joy into our lives. If you do that, you're going to see. You're going to see a difference. You're going to see that happiness, that joy come up inside of you and function as a force field. You will find strength for life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, as we wrap up today, there's some of you here. You've not tapped into the divine source of joy. You don't have a relationship with God. And, and the reason we're here, the reason this building is here and Banta, we, we built Banta and the Franklin campus and the Garfield Park campus and the reason we're online and the reason we're in all of our microsites is because God sent Jesus to this world to die on a cross for our sin so that you and he can be in relationship so that you can find not just joy, not just peace, not just grace, but eternal life. You can be forgiven of your sins. Christ died for you on the cross. Maybe today is the day where you trust in him. Maybe today is the day where you just reach out to him in faith and say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Will you wash me of my sins? Will you cleanse me? Make me your child. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Maybe today is the day you turn to Christ. You've heard it before and you give him your life. You put your faith in him. You put your trust in him and ask him to fill your heart with his spirit. You know who you are. If that's you right now and you feel drawn into this moment and you want that divine joy, will you pray with me? Just go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head at all of our campuses. Just take these words and make them your own. It's a prayer he loves to answer. Say this, Jesus, thank you. I believe you died for me died in my place to pay for my sin to remove the guilt wash away the shame I ask you in faith to cleanse me of all my sin fill me right now with your Holy Spirit love, joy, peace. Fill my soul. Make me your child. And teach me from this day forward to follow you, trust you, obey you, and to honor you with my life. I pray this in Jesus' name.
And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, guys? Come on, nice and loud. God is changing hearts. He's changing lives. If you trusted Christ at any of our campuses or microsites, if you trusted Christ online, our online campus, we wanna put a copy of the New Testament in your hands. Please, 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 if you trusted Christ today, grab one of these on the way out of your campus. Or if you did it online, there's a place that you can check that says, I trusted Christ. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. We believe that as we take the truth of God's word into our heart and mind, it sets us free, it transforms us, it changes us. One more time, can we give God glory? Amen. Amen.